Uh, man, I remember, I remember my first sleepover. I think I was, goodness, I was young. I was so young, I don't quite remember. I forget a lot of things. I had to be like eight, nine years old. I was going to go to my buddy's house, Matthew. He was two doors down. That's, that's quite the distance for your first sleepover. And I remember getting to his house. I had my backpack full of stuff. He didn't have a Super Nintendo. I had a Super Nintendo. I brought my Super Nintendo. There just wasn't a TV to play it on, so I don't know what we were going to do. Possibly that kind of probably led into the actual outcome of the whole night. Um, his house was different than mine. They had different rules. I got in trouble in the first five minutes. I was over there. Um, that, was, that was fun. Um, there was probably the biggest difference was he was, you know, he was my friend Matthew. He was the oldest of six kids. Um, all the others were girls, okay? And one of them was very annoying, Okay. And I just, I couldn't possibly figure out how I was going to stand being in the same home as that girl for the next however many hours. And so, 10 minutes in, it kind of started to sink in for me. I'm not going to sleep in my house tonight. I'm not going to be in my bed. I'm not going to be with my people. Something just isn't right. And it might have been a good experience, but 15 minutes in, I'm in tears. I'm like, I just want to go home. And then I realized nobody has to drive here to pick me up. So I packed up my Super Nintendo that was plugged into nothing. I put it in my backpack. I put my backpack back on my back and I said, peace out. I'm going back home. In that moment, I was homesick. For the first time in my life, I realized what it meant to be homesick. And I think as believers, as followers of Jesus, we too can be homesick. We are here on this earth, but this earth is not our homes. Sometimes life is hard. Trials will come. It will not be easy. Sometimes it is going to be intense. And when we are here and we are suffering those things, we have a tendency to get homesick. We have a tendency to want to pack up all of our stuff, put it back on our back and say, God, why am I still here? Why am I still dealing with these things? We have to keep in mind that this is not our eternal destination. This is not our home. This is just someone else's home that we are staying for just a little while. And we can't just pack up everything in our bag and and go because there's a purpose that we are here. And so today we dive into 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. And Peter is addressing believers that have been scattered and dispersed due to persecution in many different places that don't even exist today. And they are going through some hard times. They live in Roman territory, Roman provinces, and Nero is in leadership, and he is on the rise of just growing matter and matter and matter, and he is getting more and more experimental and creative in the way that he is treating and persecuting Christians and how he is torturing Christians. And Peter is saying, listen, believers, this is going to stink sometimes. This is going to be rough. There will be trials. You will suffer. But remember that as you long for home, this is not your home. This is only a place where we are temporarily for a moment, for a season. Life is but the width of a hand. It is but a grain of sand on the beach. The Bible says this is temporary. 
you are homesick. But hold on to hope because what is ahead is so much better. Now, we dive in. 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the knowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace multiply to you. Compare that to any greeting card you would ever send to anybody. This is dense. This is heavy. There are things that Peter is saying in here that are just one word that we could spend hours, weeks, months, entire sermon series unpacking. This is heavy stuff, and Peter just lays it out. Hey, this is who I am. This is who you are. Remember why we're here. Remember that God is at work right now. May peace and grace be multiplied to you. So the first thing that we have to look at this morning is who is Peter? Who is Peter? Peter addresses, he titles himself, he is operating out of a title. He says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now let's think back to the Peter that we once met. Peter, when we first met him, he was not an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter was fishing on a beach. The fact that Peter was fishing on a beach meant that he had lost his chance to be discipled by a rabbi. He had lost his chance to become a rabbi. Jewish boys back then, up to the age of 13, they were chosen by rabbis to be disciples, to be understudies, to be mentored in the ways of their faith. The fact that Peter's fishing means that he is not in the synagogue. That means that Peter's chance has passed him up. His father Jonah, he would have longed for that for Peter, but Peter, he missed his shot. He went from being a fisher of fish and then one day, a guy named Jesus comes along. And all of a sudden, Peter is given another chance because Jesus says, Hey, Peter, I know you're a professional fisherman. Cast the net on the other side. He pulls in so many fish, it's absolutely ridiculous. He needs help. And Jesus says, Peter, you're not going to be a fisher of fish any longer. You are going to be a fisher of men. Disciple list to now disciple a Missed his shot on being a disciple of a rabbi. Now he will be a disciple of the Messiah. He was given another shot. And now, now as Peter writes, he addresses himself, he titles himself an apostle. An apostle is somebody that spent time with Jesus. There were 12 apostles. Paul claims to be an apostle. He was validified later, verified by the apostles on the road to Damascus because he had a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. But Peter is one of the 12, and I would say he's not just one of the 12. He is a leader of the 12. Any list that you see of Peter in the ancient world, Peter, or of the, the disciples in the ancient world, world, Peter is at the top of the list. There's something special about Peter. In Scripture, Jesus talks to Peter more than any other disciple. When John writes his gospel, John says, I am the most loved of Jesus, but I'm sure if, uh, if Peter had anything to say about it, he'd say, hold up, John, I'm not sure that is the case. Peter, a man that we can identify with, 
a man that we can love because he is so absolutely human. A man that went from not really being sure about Jesus, but all right, I'm going to follow him, to getting it. And when he got it, man, things changed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to take Jesus to put him in prison and eventually on the cross, what does Peter do? He pulls out his sword and he lops off a ear of the guard. I would say he was aiming for his neck. He was trying to lop off his head, but Peter was not a swordsman. He was a fisherman, and so the cast was a little bit different with a weightier rod. He goes from there to denying Jesus three times. He goes from being denying Jesus three times to being restored by Jesus when Jesus asked him if he loves him three times. He goes from there to speaking in tongues, being filled with the Spirit, to preaching a message on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord. And that was just the men that were present that were counted historically. Now, Peter is not just a disciple. Peter is an apostle. And it was the apostles that God chose to move and build the church on within the first century. So when Peter says that he is an apostle, he is saying that I've seen Jesus. I'm not just telling you stories of something I read from someone else. I was there. I'm an eyewitness account. I have seen the Messiah. And so as I write these things to you, know that I am writing from my experience with Jesus. This is not secondhand stuff. The things that Peter writes about come from Jesus. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then... Then he just starts laying it on thick. And so we got to dive deep down into this stuff. Before we go any further, the point that we take away from what Peter's about to address is that God chose you. We have four points this morning. The first is God chose you. He writes, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So to the believers that are spread out to all these different regions, all these different areas, due to persecution, Peter is saying, remember, yes, you are exiles, not just in these different places, but you are exiles in this world. Being an exile meant that you are alien. Remember, Peter is saying, this is not your home. You have been dispersed because of persecution, but this will only last for so long. And you are being persecuted. You are alien because you are different. You are set apart to be holy in service to God. You will look different, and because you look different, you will be persecuted. The more different, the more like Jesus you look, the more you will be persecuted. So embrace the persecution because that means you are on the right track. You are aliens. You are exiles. But you are not just exiles. But what does he call them? To those who are elect exiles. You are not just exiles, but you are elect. So be encouraged. Remember, in the midst of the pain in your life, no matter what happens to you, no matter how bad the suffering gets, no matter how bad you hurt in any situation, any scenario, any circumstance, God chose you. God chose you. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, spread about, God chose you. And here's what I think. I think that in this day and age, because of trials, they weren't sitting around arguing over why or how God chose them. But because the heat was turned up on their lives in that moment, 
They were simply enjoying it. I think as Christians on this side of things that have things good that aren't really heavily persecuted, we can kind of in our comfort and in our ease, we can try to wrap our minds around how and why God chose us. And there's so many different camps on that. Here's what I think. I think for these guys, because of the trials, because of the persecution that was coming for them, they weren't sitting around arguing about how or why. They were just glad to be God's chosen people. So Asante Church, for those of you that are in Jesus and you are feeling homesick, you are feeling like you don't belong, you are feeling different from the world, you are feeling different from the culture that is around us every single day, and how encouraging is that? How good is it to know that this is not home? This is not the only thing that is out there for us. This is not forever. This is temporary, and this is only for a matter of time. So while we are longing for home, church family, remember that home is just ahead. Church, for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, be encouraged because no matter how bad this life gets, no matter how much pain you are currently in, whether it be from persecution, relational isolation, financial hurt, consequence from past sin and choices and mistakes, whether it be your health, know that no matter how bad things get, that you belong to God the Father. He has claimed you as his own. He chose you, and not only did he choose you, but he knows you. Second point this morning, God knows you. Second verse, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The foreknowledge of God the Father. That means that he knows you perfectly. He knows you inside and out. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He is not surprised by you. He knows your deeds. He knows what is good about you. He knows what is bad about you. He knows things that are taking place inside of you and around you that you are not even aware of in this moment. This means because he knows you perfectly that you cannot fool him. And in all of his knowing of you, the worst thing you've done, the worst thing you've yet to do, in all of that, he still chose you. And so, he chose you, he knows you, be encouraged, scattered believers, because you are known. And church family, to those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, be encouraged, because you are known by God the Father, and Him knowing everything, He chooses you, and He loves you, and He sees you, and He saw you before you even existed. It's one thing to be seen, it's one thing to be known. It's one thing to be married and in a healthy, fruitful relationship with your spouse. It's one thing to be in a roommate situation with your spouse. One, you are seen. The other, you are known. The best and the worst parts of you. And God does not only see you, but as microscopic as we probably are on his scale, he knows us in and out 100%. That is love. So he chose you. He knows you. And then third point this morning, God grows you. God grows you. 
Further on in verse 2, it says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, sanctification is a big, fancy Christianese word. It is a word that we say here, and we don't say it anywhere else. If you're standing in line on February 22nd when Fry's finally opens, and you ask the cashier, hey, have you ever been sanctified? They're going to look at you and say, what is a sanctified? Is that like a new Tesla? Is that what that is? It's not a word that we use. This is a church word. This is a Christian word. But what it means to be sanctified by the Spirit is that the Spirit is drawing us to make us more like Jesus. So the one that knows us, the one that chose us, is the one that grows us. God has marked us. He has set us apart, and he wants us to be made holy. And so how is he going to do that? We continue to read the verse, and Peter fills us in. What is he growing us in? He is growing us in obedience to Jesus. Obedience to Jesus. If you're going to be like Jesus, that means that you have to obey Jesus. As soon as you start to obey Jesus, many of you are new to the faith. You are young in your walk of following Jesus. The flesh is going to fight you. Many of you have been Christians for most of your lives. Now I realize I just said many of you and many of you. It's just, just different parts, okay? It's not 60% and 60%. That doesn't worry. That's 120%. The Spirit's making up a huge void there. There are many of us that are on both sides of the spectrum, and really regardless of where you're at, if you just started following Jesus or if you've been following your whole life, your flesh will continually fight against you. And so the more you obey Jesus, the more your flesh is going to say, no, 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 no. That's not what I want. That's not what we want, and it's going to try to convince you that that's actually not what is good for you. The devil is always going to tempt you against the greatness of God with the goodness of man. He's not going to give you something evil. He's going to give you something that you'll easily be tempted by. And so the flesh is going to fight against the spirit inside of you. Jesus lays it out this way, John 14, 15 through 16, towards the end of his ministry, the end of his time on earth. He's laying it out for the disciples, and he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let me say that again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you. And so we see that this is not something that happens in the flesh. Obedience to Christ is something that happens in the Spirit. We cannot do this on our own. If we do, that's legalism. We cannot be good enough for our salvation. We cannot earn our salvation. But... With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can show Jesus that we love him in our obedience to him, in our keeping of his commandments. There is a direct connection between our love to Jesus, as we see here, and our obedience to Jesus. And this is part of us becoming more like him. So think about that the next time that you want to do something just because you want to do it. Think about that the next time that you're tempted to do something that you know God commands against. You know that Jesus speaks against. Think about that the next time you don't do something that God says you should. There's sins of commission. There are sins of omission. There are sins that we can take part in because we are going against the will of God and the word of God in our lives. And then there are sins that we can commit in our lives by not being obedient and doing the things that God has called us to do. So next time, think about your obedience. If I'm disobedient to God in this moment, then that means that I'm not loving to Jesus in this moment. The two are directly connected. So am I being obedient to Jesus? 
A lot of us, we want growth, we want measurements, we want milestones along the way in our walk and our relationships with Jesus. We ask ourselves the question, Jesus, am I actually growing in you or am I just doing all this stuff for no reason? I think a good mile marker for us growing in Jesus is our obedience to Jesus. Am I being obedient in the big things? Am I being obedient in the small things? I think your growth in Jesus is measured by your love for Jesus, and your love for Jesus can be measured by your obedience. And so am I growing closer to you, Jesus? I think Jesus would ask, are you doing what I ask you to do? Are you being obedient, or are you just saying that you're a Christian? Are you just showing up and going through the motions? What is your life like when nobody is looking? What is your life like when I tell you to do something? There's another way that he grows us, and it's in forgiveness. Peter goes on to write forgiveness in Jesus. He says, for the sprinkling with his blood is what he writes. Peter's addressing the forgiveness in our lives through Jesus. You have been forgiven. Now remember what brought that forgiveness about. Remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Remember his blood shed. On the cross, his beating, his bruising, his torture that he took on your behalf. Remember that you are forgiven. I think there's probably a reason that Peter puts this after the obedience part. He knows that we are not going to be wholly, perfectly obedient. Nothing about our lives. Yes, we are sinners that become saints in Jesus, but we are sinners that still, we are saints that still continue to sin. We will not be perfect until the other side of death when we are made perfect by Jesus and the new creation. I think Peter puts forgiveness here because he knows there's going to be a struggle in this obedience factor. And so he says, for the sprinkling with his blood, that means we have been covered by the blood of Jesus. God is holy. And because he's holy, we cannot be in his presence. And so what happened is Jesus, we needed a sacrifice. There needed to be blood that was shed because of our sins so that we could be put back in right relationship with God. And Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. And so when he dies on the cross, he takes our guilt, he takes our sin, our shame upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin, and what we get in return is his righteousness. When Jesus died on the cross, it took care of our sin once and for all. And so Peter is saying, remember this, think back to the cross, remember forgiveness. This is why we take communion every single Sunday as a church, because it is so important that we look back to the cross to remember the thing that allows us to come before God the Father and be in right relationship with him. And it all takes place in the cross. So are we remembering the cross? Are we operating and living out of forgiveness? Another mile marker, another milestone, another point of growth. Am I growing in Jesus? Am I living in remembrance of forgiveness? Do I operate as if I have been forgiven or am I walking around shameful in my old identity as a sinner when Jesus says, no, I've made you clean, you are a saint. And yes, you may need your feet washed Peter, but you have already been showered. You have already been made clean. You don't need that again. You have been saved. Continue to follow me. And as you sin, ask for forgiveness. When I am disobedient, how long does it take for me to repent? You want to see if you're growing in Jesus? You want to see if you're becoming sensitive to the Holy Spirit the next time that you sin? Take the point of sinning 
And then you find the point of repentance. When you ask for forgiveness, you come up with a plan to move away from that sin, and you make a 180-degree turn, and you walk the opposite direction. The point of sin and then the point of repentance should get closer and closer and closer in time. That gap should close. I have sinned. The Holy Spirit has convicted me. When we are young in the faith, we sometimes try to ignore the Holy Spirit. We feel that conviction, and we think it's shame and guilt, and we don't want anything to do, so we just kind of push it back. Guilt, shame, those are from the enemy. But conviction is from the Holy Spirit. And so when you feel convicted, you repent. God, I've messed up. I need your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? And then as he forgives you, boom, each time you mess up, that point of repentance gets smaller and smaller and closer and closer to the point of sin until eventually it is, man, I messed up. I just sinned. God, forgive me. Let us move on from this. We are grown in obedience and forgiveness. So God, he chose you, he knows you, and he grows you. First Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefilable, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So how do we respond? How do we respond to God choosing us, knowing us, and growing us? Peter says it right here. Praise God for salvation. Fourth and final point this morning. Praise God for salvation. Peter lays it out. Verse 3, we see that God is merciful. What is mercy? Mercy is when you get something that you do not deserve. You receive something that is above and beyond what you deserve. Look, it's Girl Scout cookie season, y'all. Everybody know that? Your boy is hyped. They came knocking on the door the other day. I just hid, all right? One, because... I was just so scared. She was so close to the door, and her mom was right there. What, what if I don't buy enough? And she's just disappointed, too. I need, to, I need to keep the weight off. I would have just said, I'll take two of everything. It is Girl Scout cookie season. What mercy is, is if the Girl Scouts come to your door, they knock, and they say, hi, would you like to order some Girl Scout cookies? And you say, yes, I'll take two Samoas, please, because that is the best cookie that they make. And your plan is to put them in the freezer because that's the best way to eat them. If not the freezer, the fridge. If not the fridge, you're sinful, okay? But we just learned we're forgiven. We can move on. Sin, repentance, we're moving on. When they show up with your order, they say, hey, we have the two boxes here. That's going to be $100. The prices, they're really going up. This economy is crazy. And instead of giving them the I don't know, eight or so dollars that those two boxes are worth. You say, you know what, thank you, I'll take this one box. And instead of the eight dollars that I owe you, here is twenty dollars. You give that Girl Scout something that she doesn't deserve. There's no way that she deserves twenty dollars for the two boxes of cookies. I would argue there's no way they deserve eight dollars for two boxes of cookies. But mercy is when we receive something that we do not deserve because we are sinful, we deserve death. This is painted so perfectly clear in Romans 6.23. Paul writes, for the wages of sin is death. The wages are something that you earn for something that you've done. The wages of sin is what? 
death. Thank you so much. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we deserve death because of sin, but instead what he gave us was new life. Because he is merciful, further on in verse 3, he has caused us to be born again. Now, I want you to think with me into the deep recesses of your mind this morning. Let's think all the way back to your birth. You remember that? Me neither. It's crazy, right? I've heard that you don't remember the first three years of your life because if you did, you'd be a crazy person. It would be so traumatic. Could you imagine remembering all the times your parents accidentally dropped you down the stairs? It's wild. It's wild. I've only seen videos of it happening to me. But if you think back to your birth, when you think back to it, what part did you have to play in your birth? I mean, you came into the world, that's pretty cool, but really all of that work is on your mother and the doctors. There is nothing that you did to be born. I know for me, I can't take credit for any of my birth physically. And the same way is true for me spiritually. I can't take credit for any of my spiritual birth because my Savior did all the work on my behalf, just like the, my mother and the doctors did all the work on my behalf so I could have physical life. Jesus did all the work for me on my behalf so I could have spiritual lives. As Christians, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are born again. That's how we receive salvation. The only way to be saved is to be born again. Jesus says in John 3, 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So in order to truly live, we not only need to be born physically at birth, our physical birth, but we need to be born again spiritually to God so that we can see the kingdom. Dr. David Jeremiah, he said this. This is pretty, it's a pithy quote. I like it. If you've been born only once, you will die twice. But if you've been born twice, you will have to die only once. And so we are born again when we put our faith in Jesus. But we are born again to something, and this is huge. This is kind of what Peter has been leading to within these first five verses, and it's only here in verse 3. This is kind of the main idea. You have been born again to a living hope. Now, a living hope has substance. A living hope is genuine. A living hope is vital. A living hope has ground to stand on because a living hope is based off of new life in Jesus. It is based on Jesus being raised to life in the resurrection, and it is based on our future life with Jesus. Now, this living hope this living hope changes things. This living hope takes cowards and turns them into apostles. It takes cowards and it turns them into leaders. It takes people like Simon, who is shifty, and it turns him into Peter, Petros, the rock. Not Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but Peter the Rock, the pebble that will help build the church based on the boulder that is Jesus. It takes you from denier to an apostle with authority. Now, the world is full of false hope, but Jesus offers living hope. False hope 
is empty. False hope is a cover-up. It is vain. It has no ground to stand on. It's based on superstition, and it flees at the first sign of trouble. But no matter what comes your way in this life, no matter what trial, what suffering, living hope endures. Why does living hope endure in our lives? Because hard times are short-lived. Hard times are short-lived because living hope is eternal. Why is living hope eternal? Verse 4, because it is through the resurrection. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, death is dead. The things that we suffer in this life are only for a short time because we are going from this world into a place where there will be no tears or pain, no suffering, no trials anymore. As Jesus was resurrected, we put our faith in him to save us from our sin. We too will be resurrected. Because of our living hope, we have something to look forward to. We have an inheritance, and our inheritance is eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus. And this is something that remains pure, it remains guarded, and it lasts forever. Then Peter writes for a salvation ready to revealed to be revealed in the last time. This salvation takes place at the last day. There's three stages of salvation. Real quick, we'll hit these and we're out of here. Three stages of salvation. If you have put your faith in Jesus, everyone in this room that has, has been saved. This is justification. You have been justified of your sins by Jesus when you put your faith in him. Stage two of salvation, you are being saved. Every day you are being saved. This is the sanctification that we talked about earlier. Every day you die to yourself a little more, you become more alive to Jesus, a little bit more holy, a little bit more obedient. But one day, one day, and this is the salvation Peter's talking about, one day you will be saved. And this is the future glory of believers. And we will enjoy this in salvation for eternity. And it is not something that has happened yet, but it is something that is to come. And until then, in every trial, in every circumstance, look forward to that. Look forward to the inheritance that we have in heaven through salvation. When times are tough, when we suffer, look forward to that. Don't focus on the tree in front of you. Focus on the forest that is ahead. It is not about the thing that you are going through. God will use that. We'll learn about that next week. But stay focused on what is ahead, and that is an inheritance of eternal life through salvation only by the work of Jesus. And this means that through it all, we keep the faith. This isn't in our own strength. We don't earn our salvation. God will keep us, but we have to want to be kept. And through it all, we stay focused on the prize through the pain. For Peter, throughout this entire letter that he is writing to believers spread all over the place, suffering horrific things, being persecuted left and right, Peter is saying that heaven, it's not just the destination, but heaven is the motivation. So no matter what you are going through, hold on to the motivation of the destination that is ahead, that is only offered through the resurrection, the blood, the atonement of Jesus Hold on to that, and you will not be shaken. God will sustain you. Rest in his power.